Good evening, and good to see you here tonight, and great singing, and thanks Charlene for our Come All Ye Faithful, appreciate that very much, very good. Let's go to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 1. I just want to share a brief, more of a devotion than a message, but uh, there's a message in it, of course. I'm calling Honoring God When All Your Plans Are Interrupted. Or how to get through the Christmas season. <laughs> it can be hectic, if we're honest. We know it can be. <clears throat> uh, at, the out, at the very start, I have to confess that some of the greatest interruptions or um, maybe setbacks that I have faced um, come from either having way too high expectations of something <laughs> or really bad planning. Uh, because those two enemy elements of our lives, I think, can devastate almost anything if we, you know, don't meet reasonable, maybe biblical expectations of others, and if we uh, really don't practice good planning uh, for what uh, for for an event like uh, the Christmas holiday celebrations. Uh, but I want to read to you about a couple who went through a very interruptive time in their lives, and their names are Mary and Joseph. And it's in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 18. Now, remember, they're engaged. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a little more detail. Um, Wedding is being planned. They're somewhere within that year of betrothal period. And though they may not have been wealthy, or well-known, or uh, enjoying great prosperity from a human perspective, a wealth perspective, they had their plans. And to them, it looked like uh, things are proceeding according to plan. And then, of course, everything turns upside down. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take, you to, to, take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. We'll go to the end of the chapter. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin, the Parthenos, shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Um, we didn't complete that paragraph this morning in the message. And so we want to complete that bit of the story and evaluate it from a perspective of um, dealing with maybe unreasonable expectations and uh, the, the reality of our lives. And so I just have two thoughts today, two thoughts tonight. One. Expect your best laid plans to be turned upside down. That's a very reasonable expectation, isn't it? We don't like to think that that's something we need to do, but we have to. Expect (laughs) the unexpected. Now, here Joseph and Mary 
Uh, we don't have all the details of their life before this, but they were obviously planning a wedding. And all of a sudden, they're planning a nursery. That wasn't in their plans, was it? That's not what they were thinking. They were in their, um, I think it's pronounced uh, kudushin. I'm not sure, Pastor, if that's the right pronunciation, but their betrothal period. Legally married, not living together. It could have lasted as long as a year. And they, I'm sure it tested a couple's fidelity, their loyalty to one another, and their uh, integrity. But only a divorce could break that. So to become engaged was as serious in that culture as the actual marriage maybe in our culture. Uh, there were a lot of uh, careful, are you sure this is what you want to do kind of things, a lot of advice, warnings, and, and directives from the elders around them. And then after that time would be their hupa. Hupa, is that pronounced correctly? Uh, there'd be the marriage ceremony itself. And we've seen, you know, in films like Fiddler on the Roof a little bit about what the elements involved in that thing. But the, there was a, a very special time where the bride would be, uh, uh, the groom would arrive to, um, to collect the bride, so to speak, and, and take her to his home. And, uh, you know, just speculating, Joseph the carpenter, maybe he had built this, uh, maybe he was building as a carpenter a, a brand new bed for him and Mary. And uh, I'm sure Mary had great plans of uh, whatever a, a young Jewish bride might have been planning for her wedding. And uh, maybe uh, decorations for the home, new cooking uh, supplies, things that she was looking to, to build her nest. And all that planning now interrupted with, I'm pregnant. Notice it says she was uh, found with child. Who found her with child? Um, it, it seems from other passages in the, in the scripture during the life of Jesus that it became known. It was, no matter how secret Joseph may have wanted it to be, it, became, it came out, the word got out, um, that she was with child. And uh, plans turned upside down. Not what I was expecting. Not where I thought I would be. And if God could do it to them, how do we finish that sentence? He could do something like that to us. He could turn our plans upside down. He could do something like that to you. We make plans, and there's nothing wrong with that. James even says if you make plans, fine. But always keep the idea that uh, it's got to be what the Lord wants. If the Lord wills, that's what my plan is going to uh, result in. So we plan, but God opens up the path. God shows us what the next step was going to be and the, the near future. And James says, yeah, make your plans, but always keep God in that uh, equation that he may very well turn those plans completely on their heads. In the end, we have to acknowledge whose plan ultimately will be accomplished. We like to think it's going to be ours. But in the end, it will be God's. And sometimes we're okay with that, and sometimes we not be initially okay with what God has planned for us. But the fact of the matter is, God's plans will, uh, will be accomplished. Um, as I think about some of the greatest and worst moments <laughs> in my life growing up, I, I have to admit, most of them were around the Christmas season, it seems. <laughs> I don't know why that is. But I think a lot of it has to do with high expectations, and maybe some of those are artificially induced upon us, that we, you know, we want it to be perfect. We want everything to be just right, and it's going to be a Christmas to remember. And, and, uh, and sometimes other people in our family, uh, our own behavior, our own thoughts and thinking processes kind of sap- self-sabotage the whole process. And uh, 
So expect your best laid plans to be turned upside down. And then secondly, seek to understand God's plans for the interruptions. And I think that's, that's the point where we have to pause and pray and meditate and, and, and walk away from a, a volatile situation where I might be tempted to say something I might regret and to think, okay, God, what are you doing here? And how can I respond to this in a way that pleases you? God must have a purpose in this interruption. And Mary and Joseph, certainly this was kind of the thing that was going on in their minds. We see more details about Mary in the Luke passage. Uh, but certainly this young girl was, why? Why me? Why at this time? I mean, I was, you know, even thinking about this. God could have allowed Mary and Joseph to be married in the proper procedure, go through their marriage ceremony. And before they consummated the marriage, God could have allowed all this to take place once everything had gone properly, you know? It would have still protected the Messiah from uh, the sin nature passed through the the Father, uh, as we see in Romans chapter 8. It would have protected the purity of Jesus, and it still would have been a virgin birth. But... God's ways are his ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. And God knew that that was not what he was going to do. And so we might think in our own ways, God, you know, if you just done it this way, it would have been so much easier for us. <laughs> it would have been so much more pleasant. It wouldn't have involved as many people. It wouldn't have been gotten so out of hand. And, and uh, it wouldn't have abated the gossips, you know, like things like. Um, but God's timing was absolutely perfect. And there's a lot of reasons we could state as to why at this time, during the betrothal, this took place. Uh, But needless to say, it was God's plan. So, under this thought, knee-jerk reactions. Knee-jerk reactions could always make it worse, right? Now, Joseph was planning, really for him, divorcing Mary was not an option. He had to do that. She was, had been obviously unfaithful to him. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know where or when. But obviously she's been unfaithful to me. And um, it would have uh, been really inappropriate for him to continue on with the marriage uh, in that particular culture. So he, as a righteous man, contemplates divorcing her, as we mentioned this morning, public uh, in a private way. And there were a couple of courts in Israel Depending on your, their view of divorce, one court held the view that you could be divorced for anything at all, and, um, and generally those divorces were done in a more private way. Uh, and then there was a court uh, there, there you could have your divorce done, but they would only allow it under marital infidelity, immorality, that kind of thing, and generally that was a more public way. And as I understand, as I understand the situation in, in that culture, Joseph was going to... Uh, probably have the divorce done through the court that allowed for any divorce, but primarily because it would be done privately. It would not be made uh, known to the community. And he was a just man. The Bible tells us that. That's why he was contemplating this, because he was just. And while he's thinking, and that's the point, there wasn't a knee-jerk reaction. He's thinking about it, verse 20. He's pondering this. He's gathering in his heart, Maybe talking to some people that were close to the situation, gathering the facts. What has happened here? What are my options? What is the right thing to do? And even at this, as much as his heart must have been broken by this and felt the betrayal, he still had Mary's best interest in mind, didn't he? He was trying to protect her from public outrage 
and uh, maybe even a, a public stoning, for which was the uh, penalty for infidelity. So he takes some time to ponder. I like that. For many, that would have been a very clear situation. Hey, I'm going right down to the courthouse now. It's over. But he takes some time to ponder. And in that time, God speaks to him. Isn't that neat too? While he's asleep, he's gone to bed, you know, I'm sleeping on it. That's when God comes to him in a dream. In the dreams, uh, the, the, the dreamer tends to be uh, an inactive observer of what's going on, whereas in a vision, there tends to be more, uh, um, the, the, the recipient of the vision is active, communicating, speaking, there's back and forth, like Peter's vision of the, uh, in Book of Acts of the, of, the, of the sheep being dropped down. He's very active. He's responding to God back and forth. In the dream, there's more, um, more passive listening. And so in this dream, God is speaking, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. That reflects that uh, cultural element. She was already his wife, though they had not consummated the marriage or even been married completely. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. God, in that one statement to Joseph, and there's more, but in that statement, answers his question, how could this happen? He answered that to Mary when Gabriel spoke to Mary that it would be from the Holy Ghost. But specifically, God knew Joseph needed to have that answer too. And he explains to him why it happened, or as far as it goes, how this occurred. So she has not been unfaithful. And that was the dagger in Joseph's heart that was, had interrupted all of his plans. It was painful. I'm sure it hurt greatly. It reflected on him. And, uh, and he felt betrayed, perhaps, like no other type of betrayal can hurt a man or, or a person. That kind of betrayal. So Joseph now understands God's purpose. A knee-jerk reaction would have robbed him of that opportunity, wouldn't it have? And so often when we react quickly, we want to vindicate ourselves, we want to leave the situation in, with me in control, I'm in control of the battlefield, so to speak, and I want to get my side out right away before I take time to gather facts, to pray, and think about the biblical response. Now, because he has taken that time to consider or to think on these things, God comes to him and reveals that information to him. Two results. Because he didn't have a knee-jerk reaction, two results. He got to marry the girl that he loved, and he got to be the father of the Son of God, the earthly father of the Son of God, of course. How quickly and easily we might throw away a great opportunity that God is going to use that interruption in our lives to become something greater than we could have ever imagined. We might want the perfect Christmas, but God may want you to have a great Christmas. And the greatness may not come from being perfect. (laughs) It may come from, despite the fact that in your mind it wasn't perfect, for whatever reasons. Uh, so knee-jerk reactions could make things worse. Secondly, prayerfully seek God's big picture, big picture in your plans. Seek God's big picture plan. We have the small picture. We're here down below. We've got the worm's eye view. We can only see the blades of grass all around us. We don't ever get to see the big thing, right? And yet God has got the, uh, the, the divine view. He sees the whole thing, uh, past, present, and future. He has the perfect view. And we'll never fully have that big picture. But 
I believe that as we pray and seek God's word and seek the advice of other people that know the Lord and maybe even in situations like we find ourselves, we can gain uh, a better grasp of what God may be doing. We may not ever have the full picture, but we can begin to grasp a little bit uh, of what his purpose might be. And as we pray, God will give us wisdom. James promises that. He will give us courage. The early church prayed for boldness, and God gave them to that. We can pray for guidance. Psalms and Proverbs are full of the guidance of the Lord, and, uh, and we get the help that we need. So prayerfully seek God's big picture. And then when we do that, we'll get the perspective. We'll get God's perspective because we want to magnify it, don't we? We want to make the, the problem far greater than it is and our part in it in creating the problem far smaller than it really might be. We want to magnify ourselves and minimize uh, our blame in whatever that particular situation might be. So God can help us get perspective, and so can other believers in our life. If we'll take the time to listen to them, bounce it off them, they can help us if they love us and care about us. Uh, keep us from making the mistake of spending $100 on worry for a $5 problem and uh, making way too much of something that doesn't have to be made that much. third element as we pray for the big picture is to remember God's providence. Providence. Providence is like sovereignty, but a little different. Providence is about God's care, his provision. You see that word in there. He provides. And generally, his providential care comes through ordinary, not supernatural means. He meets our needs through the blessing of other believers, circumstances in our life, unexpected happenstances, even interruptions providentially and we don't we don't call them providentially when they first occur only till we see the bigger picture and the results that occur do we look back and say that was providential that god used things uh, not necessarily supernaturally but he was actively working in my life and in my family's life and our church's life at that time to bring a greater blessing than if things had gone the way i had planned The meal doesn't have to be perfect. The tub doesn't have to be scrubbed. Every part of the house doesn't have to be spick and span to have a perfect time with your family and loved ones. So the better we avoid these knee-jerk reactions, the better we get the full story, the more information, we make better decisions. Better decisions. One of my favorite Christmas stories, of course, is uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And I saw it was playing last night. Uh, I caught the very end of it. I missed the whole thing. But, of course, everybody has it on DVD anyway. And, of course, there's that great scene when Uncle Billy loses the how much money? $8,000. Nothing today, right? That's not a big deal today as much. But in those days, wow, that was an enormous amount of money. Around that time, my grandparents bought their home for $5,000. So $8,000 was a lot of money. So you remember that scene when he goes back to his house and his wife and kids are all there. They're all festive. They're having a great Christmas, aren't they? They're playing. They're, uh, the son's playing. The, uh, the girl's playing the piano. The boy, he's doing his uh, spelling words and all that. And they're having a wonderful time. And George Bailey, his plans have been interrupted, haven't they? He, all he's thinking about is himself. He's thinking about scandal. He's thinking about jail time. He's thinking about everything just going up in smoke. And what does he do? He makes a scene. He is truly horrible before his own family, isn't he? Just complaining and grumbling and just making, he's just ruining everybody's Christmas. 
to the point that he knows he needs to just get out of there, and he goes to plan his own suicide. Of course, that's when, according to the story, God intervenes with Clarence, Clarence the angel. I just love that part. I love how they, they did that because I really do believe that uh, God comes to us and those moments with the most unexpected, the most ridiculous possible solutions to my problems, this goofy angel named Clarence. But in the end, of course, George learns that the $8,000 that set me off on this, this, this interruption that just transformed everything, really, in the end, wasn't that big a deal, was it? That money was easily collected by all the people in the town that knew he had a need and loved him. So he had kind of a knee-jerk reaction to the problem. And we could do that too, maybe not to those extremes, but we can do that sometimes too and make it far bigger than it is, not realizing that we have lots of resources all around us and that family and friends, of course, you know, no man is poor that has friends. Clarence wrote him in that final postscript in the movie. Uh, Great, great ending. But we can often... Let the problem become so big that all we see is that $8,000 and, and the problem of this person, this statement, this, this interruption, this, this angry comment, this uh, unthankful whatever happened, um, and let that just gnaw at us and rob us of the joy God intends for us to have. I'm going to wrap up with one final story. I read this story somewhere about a woman who comes home, and she has five children, and... The house is really quiet. It's not supposed to be quiet because she has five kids. She looks all over and finds all five of them sitting in the living room in a little circle, each of them holding a baby skunk. (laughs) And so she screams, run! And each child picks up their skunk and runs. (laughs) And then she realizes they've still got the skunks, and she cries, run again. And um, each one squeezes their skunk. And, of course, skunks don't like to be squeezed. So I don't know whether that's actually a true story or not, but I kind of like the idea. When, when the interruption comes, when the stress comes, be careful not to squeeze your skunk. <laughs> it will only make things worse. So watch your emotions, watch your attitude, watch your temperament, watch your words, and uh, leave some room this Christmas season for God to interrupt your well-laid plans, because they can sometimes turn out to be God doing a wonderful and mighty thing in your life. And I close with Romans eight twenty-eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So when things don't work out, remember that God is working out things for our good. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to reflect on what Joseph and Mary, these two godly people, may have been thinking and may have been going through. And may we take uh, their example, especially Joseph's, from this passage and uh, let those interruptions become the instruments by which you change our lives for the better. Make us more dependent on you and may our flesh not rise up with a knee-jerk reaction that would rob us of the opportunity to bless you, Lord, and to thank you for the interruption you brought into our lives. And for Jesus' sake, we pray these things. Amen.